Listening to Feminist Current. I'm Megan Murphy. I started this podcast over a decade ago in 2012. At the time, few were talking about the things I wanted to talk about. Feminists who were critical of third wave feminism, of the sex industry, of attempts to frame things like objectification and pornography as empowering, who wanted to focus on women's material reality who were concerned about encroaching gender identity ideology and legislation, and who wanted to protect women's spaces, had not only been pushed out of mainstream media and conversation, but out of the feminist movement and the left. I wanted to provide a space to have these conversations, a space for women who felt silenced or who didn't have access to media or online platforms to share their work, their activism, their views, and their realities. So I did. For over a decade, Feminist Current has been a lone voice of dissent in Canada. I've expanded my work to additional platforms, but Feminist Current remains a pivotal platform for and archive of women's work, movements, and dissenting voices. And we want to continue, but we really, really need your help. Feminist Current has been ad-free, government-grant-free, investor-free, wealthy benefactor-free, and fully independent for years. We rely solely on individual donors, so people like you, to sustain our work. Please consider making a donation by going to FeministCurrent.com and clicking the Donate tab. It means the world and truly is the only thing that can keep us going. Thank you so much for supporting our work and women's speech. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Kaisa Ekis Ekman, who I first encountered back in around 2013 when she became known for her expertise on an analysis of prostitution and the Nordic model of law implemented in Sweden back in 2009, which had a notable impact on curbing trafficking and the purchase of sex in the country. She published Being and Being Bought, Prostitution, Surrogacy, and the Split Self in 2013, and in 2022 published her most recent book, The Meaning of Sex, Thoughts About the New Definition of Woman. I spoke with her about the situation with gender identity ideology and policy in Sweden, how she was treated when she began speaking out against this, her cancellation, and as a Marxist, how she views the left nowadays. First of all, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a while since we've talked, so I'm looking forward to catching up. Yeah, me too. So much has happened. A lot has been going on, eh? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about like the interview that you made with me in, I think it was 2011 or 12. God, and so uh, you were already working with Feminist Current, and I had just published my book about prostitution and surrogacy. And I think we touched upon the trans issue and the gender identity thing um, just shortly. And I think we both agreed that, you know, This is creating trouble for us as feminists, but we're not going to get into it because we have more important things to do. And then it somehow got into us. I think, yeah, I mean, I think probably a lot of feminists initially were like, I don't want to waste time on this because it's so silly and there's so many other really important issues to deal with with regard to women and girls, you know, including FGM and, of course, domestic violence and prostitution and trafficking and rape. And we were forced into this debate. We were totally forced because, you know, we have no choice. This is about, (laughs) this is the foundation of everything. Yeah. I mean, it became evident to us. I think it became evident to you and me at the same time, more or less. And I think the way it became evident was more or less the same way, wasn't it? That actually we did not approach this issue. This issue approached us mm-hmm. by, tr- by trying to get in our way, 
while we were doing other stuff. I was doing the prostitution thing. And somehow in 2014, they got wind of like one sentence that was in my book that where I was comparing people who say like, oh, I'm also a whore and a slut, but they actually haven't been in prostitution. So I compare that to like white people who want to be black, Mm -hmm. to men who want to be women. And I made like five metaphors. And somehow somebody cut one line that had to do with transsexuals out of the book, posted it all over online. And all of a sudden, from one day to another, I was a transphobe. So I think for me, it started there. It started there because they uh, started canceling me already before canceling was even a word. And then after a while, like I was trying to like get, you know, rid of this issue, like, you know, get away from it. But it took me in. And then finally, I was like, I have to take the bull by the horns. Yeah. You have that saying in English or is that a Swedish yeah. thing? No, that's, we have that saying, something of the like in any case. Yeah. I mean, I think it, yeah, I, I, you can't avoid it. And, and especially not now at this point, I think that, I think that a lot of less courageous feminists, uh, less courageous than you um, and, you know, the other women who've been speaking out and fighting this have avoided this and to me it's made them lose all credibility you know the the women who claim to be feminists who either have gone along with these trans women and are women mantras who've accepted um the transitioning of of minors who are accepting men in women's spaces and women's prisons and women's change rooms and transition houses or who simply have stayed silent this whole time i mean at this point you can't pretend that yeah. you don't see what's going on and how dangerous it is. Yeah, this has been like a kind of a division between me and a lot of um, women's rights activists here because it came to a point where I said, I actually wrote to them privately and told them, look, um, you don't have to agree with me, but to this point where I'm losing jobs over this question, you could at least speak out over, you know, freedom of speech. You don't have to say, I agree with everything she says. Mm-hmm. You know, although I hate when people say, I don't agree with everything she says, but. Yeah, you like, know, of because course. Because it's like half canceling you. It's like micro canceling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like she is problematic, but still. you know, I know, give I her think a, it's a, so rude. It's, it. it's like this passive aggressive support that's not really support. And it's an unnecessary thing to say because, of course, you don't agree with everything that anybody else says. You of know? course, it's yeah. Like Who would most, ever I think everyone on the planet, you're going to disagree in one place or another. And so what yeah, did they, what did they that, say? They weren't willing to do. Like even that, even, you know, just defending, you know, my right to have a job. Like they wouldn't even do that. And that's when I realized, okay, so these people don't have a limit. You know, there's nothing that will happen that will make them say enough is enough. You know, and I thought at least, you know, when this stuff gets real, because when I started writing about this, so after this like um, canceling campaign in 2014, like in 2018, I wrote my first article in the Swedish press uh, about this issue where I kind of like listed all the problems with gender identity theory. Like, yeah, just the ones that you mentioned, you know, men and women's sports um, and women's prisons, um, gender roles returning to, you know, um, small kids and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I just said, we have to talk about this. You know, what is a man? What is a woman? And Nobody had ever written something like that in my country. So um, it became like a big thing, you know. And then people were saying, because this stuff hadn't really gotten real here. So people were saying, like, all that stuff is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just you exaggerating. And then it started happening. Then we had this guy who uh, killed and butchered his ex- ex-girlfriend and then, uh, you know, was sentenced and decided that he was a woman uh, was transferred to women's prison here in Sweden. And, you know, even when that happened and I said, you know, what did I tell you guys? And even then they wouldn't say anything. So I just realized, you know, they, they, they just have decided to avoid this. It's, I mean, it's the same thing that's happened everywhere, right? Like the first women who started speaking out about this were told that they were exaggerating, that they were being hyperbolic, that they were being hysterical. This isn't a real thing that's going on. Just let people live their lives. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? And then, of course, everything that we were concerned about and predicted came to 
fruition. And now we have these guys saying, where are all the women? Why have women let this happen? Yeah. You know, why, yeah. why are women going along? Why aren't women speaking out? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the, the end result of this whole thing is that everything uh, that's feminism is going to go away because it's all going to be associated with this gender identity thing. So uh, that's the sad part, that even um, the women that said, let's just skip over this issue, we'll just focus on like the, the usual feminist issue, even that is going to be tainted by this whole thing. So there's going to be nothing left. You know, I think that's where we're heading, because like um, here we speak about like the two front war where like women are faced with like two adversaries. And one of them is, you know, the conservative uh, right wing who wants to like, you know, uh, ban abortion, you know, get women back to the home and stuff like that. You know, and everybody agrees, like, oh, that's bad. And then we have the other side, which is like the liberal progressive uh, side, which says that, you know, anybody can be a woman. Um, surrogacy is good. Prostitution is good. Um, not really so over here, but still, you know, there is that kind of current. And um, so we have to fight both. But the scary thing is what I realized recently is in Argentina, you know, there's uh, an election coming up and the leading guy is a libertarian who actually combines both of these bad things. He's for self-ID. He mm -hmm. is for surrogacy, but he's against abortion. Can you believe that? <laughs> wow. So like anybody can be a woman, but women cannot abort. Like he's combining the two bad sides. And he's a libertarian. Yeah. This but makes he no thinks sense. Yeah, but he thinks, you know, the, the fetus is a person. So any person can do what they want, uh, but you can't Even do what you it want. lives inside someone else's body. Yeah. <laughs> it can control the body it lives in. <laughs> yeah, so you can buy a woman, like implant a fetus into her, take it out, you know, um, but she can't decide about that. So it's like now these two sides are merging and of course not for the good. So I'm just hoping you know, other people in other countries do not get wine of this and start like importing this kind of new combination. I mean, do you see a connection there between this idea that, you know, a woman is kind of just like either just like a set of body parts that you can yeah. take off or put on. So, you know, a man can be a woman when he gets breast implants when he cuts his penis off and creates a mm. hole instead for a penis to go inside maybe if he is able to implant a uterus inside him but and then this this support for surrogacy and these new reproductive technologies which take the the whole the holistic um, you know, what a woman fully is and, and her part in the pregnancy and the birth right. and the raising of that child and, and making it just about a, a body or even just kind of a space, an empty space where you might implant yeah. a fetus inside her and then grow that fetus into a baby and then take it out and then discard yeah. her. Well, you know, you sound a bit like Mary Daly. Have you read this great book, Gynecology? Gin slash ecology. I've not read that book, but I know it. I, so I, I'm familiar with Mary Daly a little bit, but I've never read any of her books in, in their entirety. Oh, you have to. You're going to be mind blown. Like she does all these word games, you know, like instead of therapist, she says the rapist. And, mm -hmm. you know, she does all these word games and stuff. And, and she really goes deep into like what uh like the womb envy that men have had and why they want to control women because the thing that we can do that they can't do mm. um but she says it's not only about reproduction it's about like female energy and stuff like that so but anyway yeah i think that it's that part that you know all of these things what they have in common is is basically taking control over women's bodies and i think what we have underestimated is patriarchy's uh, ability to morph into something else and to come back. Um, because, you know, we had, for example, in Sweden, a very successful movement for, you know, men to become fathers, you know, for men to actually stay at home with their kids half the time, you know, because we have like one year of uh, parental leave so that men would stay at home at least, you know, a couple of months or even half that time mm -hmm. for men to like be more involved. And we thought, you know, this is going to be good for us. But then we got the other side of this, 
which meant that men um, to uh, hurt women started demanding full custody and getting full custody, especially violent men. So whereas we in the past, you know, if, if we left a guy or if a guy left us, we at least had the kids. But now we don't even get that because now they have twisted this equality struggle into something else. And this happens again and again and again. Like when we started talking about gender as opposed to sex, like gender roles, whatever. Now that's twisted again against us. Yeah. So like anything we create, you know, they're going to kind of like take it, morph it and turn it against us. And, and then blame us for the problem that yeah. comes from that, right? So what's what's said is that, so what feminists, of course, always fought for was to say your gender is not inherent. The, the gen, These gender roles, these gender stereotypes are not what makes a man a man, a boy, a boy, a woman, a woman, a girl, mm. a girl, you know, and that's how I grew up. I grew up believing that I didn't have to be feminine. I rejected femininity. Um, I still reject femininity. Um, my life has not followed a traditional path in any way whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm happy. I love my life despite what the, you know, some of these Matt Walsh types might say. <laughs> because they think you should have kids and all say that i i must be miserable because i'm unmarried and childless um yeah. but you know now it's it's said that this whole transgenderism trend is actually the fault of feminists because feminists said that gender wasn't real gender was a social construct that men didn't have to be masculine that women didn't have to be feminine etc Mm. So like what I write in my book, um, the book that, yeah, that, that I sent you the, uh, on the on meaning, the meaning of, of sex. Of sex. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what I write there in the end is if, I mean, if you go back to the time when women, uh, weren't allowed to vote and you told people actually, you know what, um, you can actually change sex. Like, you know, you can just be a man if you want to. And all women went ahead and said, you know what, we can actually vote because we're men. Yeah. I mean, nobody would have accepted that. Like, you know, I mean, it would have, it would have been unthinkable. Like, they would just have laughed at you. Uh, totally. Do you think they would have been like, yeah, but of course, you know, go and vote. We didn't think about that. No, oh, I'm sorry. Not. You're a man. Excuse me. You're a man. Of course. You know, so I, I don't think it's a coincidence that this thing is happening now when um, the only formal um, uh, differences like in law and in like, you know, for example, sports and stuff are differences that benefit women, mm -hmm. right? I mean, back then you had legal um, kind of like discrimination that benefited men. So back then, uh, this thing wouldn't have worked. But now, you know, men still have power, but, you know, it's not because there are rules. It's because they have physical strength. Um, they, they are more violent and um, they work together. So it's like informal networks, you know, it's not things that you can point at, you know, there's no rule that says like the president always has to be a man, you know, but it still happens that way. So you see, I think that's why, um, we actually, uh, benefit from the rules that say like only women are going into this room. Only women are going into the sport, the quotas, you know, uh, we need 30% of women studying whatever engineering, like all these things benefit us. So I don't think it's a coincidence that it's right now that all of a sudden sex doesn't exist. Right. So I, I don't agree at all with these, uh, male chauvinists that say that, you know, it's feminism that started this. No, because it doesn't benefit women. It benefits men. And this is very clear. I think that's such a good point because imagine if this idea of transgenderism had come about to benefit women not to destroy mm. women and to destroy women's rights. Imagine if it had come about when women didn't have rights that we won mm. through the, the women's movement. Um, and mm. as you say, it was about, oh, okay, so um, I can't own property or get a credit card or I can't vote um, because mm. I'm a woman. Actually, I'm a man. It's how I identify and you have to accept this, so give me a credit card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's you know, not what just happened. the idea is ridiculous. <laughs> but why is that idea ridiculous? And why is it not ridiculous now that a guy says, um, actually, you know what? I suck at sports, but I'm a woman, so let me in here. I'm going to win this shit. 
Like, why is that taken seriously? And that the only explanation that I can come up with is it's because male power always prevails. It's just, you know, robbed us of our language because it uses whatever language is around at the time. So if we're living in like a religious society, it's going to use any religious text or book to justify itself, but it's actually independent of that. And if we live in a kind of postmodern society uh, where you have words thrown about like, you know, identity and intersectionality, it's going to use that, but it's the same male power behind, you know, and, and, and I always think back at like a time when I was about 14, 15 and I was active in, in a woman's group and we used to um, have these like take back the night demonstrations on the 8th of March. And they used to be separatist, women only. So every time there would be like a couple of guys coming like, why can't I not join? And we're like, sorry, tonight it's only for us. You can't join. And they'd be like, why not? Are you sexist? Do you hate men? Aren't you supposed to be for equality? Like, I want to support this cause too. And then we told them, look, we have open meetings every week um, on Tuesdays. You can come and join us, but just not now. Do you think anybody ever came? No. They wanted to be where they, where we wouldn't allow them because they knew there was some kind of power that we had in being together without them. Tell me about the progression of gender identity ideology and legislation in Sweden. Um, so you were attacked, canceled, however you want to frame it, in 2014 over this. So is that kind of when this ideology was picking up in Sweden? It was a peak. It was a peak year. It was like everything trans all of a sudden from like zero to 3,000. Mm. So there were people that like came out of nowhere and like all of a sudden had a huge following online and were like semi-gods, you know, like, wow, that person said, oh my God. And it was also like, I remember a year of like great insecurity because since nobody really knew what this thing was about, Everybody was extremely scared of, of doing something wrong. So one person that came out of nowhere um, and said, okay, so I'm a trans woman. Um, feminism is excluding me. I mean, this was a person that you'd never heard about. I mean, didn't have a track record within like the feminist movement at all, had not contributed or done anything, you know, man or woman. Like, what have you actually done? And this person like really tried to uh, bring me down, posted on Twitter, um, if anybody posts any link uh, to any article that Kaiseika Sikman has written, I give you a yellow card. Um, if you post her articles twice, you get a red card. And I mean, people got scared. Hmm. I mean, these red cards were just nonsense. But I mean, people got scared. And then you fast forward to now where like, I've lost jobs because of this, you know, real jobs. So, yeah. So tell me a bit more about how legislation has progressed. I think, I mean, I read that in just last year, the Swedish government proposed a reform of the country's legal gender recognition mm. procedures. So what are the laws currently in Sweden around transitioning or changing your sex on your ID kind of thing? Well, currently you actually have to go to a doctor. Um, it doesn't say that you have to, you know, um, have a sex change as such. You know, sometimes you just need to start treatment and you can actually apply for a change. But what they're proposing is like total self ID, like in a lot of other countries, like that you're supposed to just like you change your address on the internet, you know, you know, and just go and say, I'm this now. But to change back on the other hand, then you're gonna actually have to consult someone. You know, and I a lot of detransitioners already are already are having trouble with that because, you know, the sex change was easy like the first time, and then the second time when they want to go back, you know, they can't. Um, so, but it hasn't passed yet because we have a right-wing government now that I think are conflicted about it. They actually proposed it, but got a lot of pushback here. There is consensus generally among like between the left and the right about, you know, being modern. Um, cause Sweden like has the self image that we are a modern country. So if anything is new, it's for us. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So they just kind of like 
posited this thing as a new thing and everybody thought, of course, we have to be new. We can't be old. Hmm. And I mean, the other thing that's happened in Sweden recently that I was impressed by was that they backtracked on the laws around transitioning minors. So the or medicalizing mm. minors in this way. So things like puberty blockers, hormones, mm. mastectomies for minors. How did that happen? I mean, it seems that in some ways Sweden is doing better on these issues than, for example, Canada, which is doing probably the worst on these issues. Mm. Yeah, I think we're doing better because we were doing worse and the effects were kind of evident mm. um, because there were so many kids that had been transitioned already and yeah. they were noticing the problems. And it came after the Tavistock thing. So it was the Tavistock thing. And then after that in the UK and after that, um, one Swedish hospital um, decided to stop treatment of minors. And then there were new guidelines from the social authorities about how to treat minors. And they said in extreme um, exceptional cases, you can do it. But generally, that should not be the way. Now, there is a big question mark around that. We don't know if all the doctors in the country are actually following these guidelines, because we know that some of these doctors tend to be activists as well. So, you know, they really believe in this 100 percent and they're not going to let guidelines stop them. So we don't actually know what's happening. But it has been from what I see, it has been slower a little bit. Um, and there are waiting lines, which, of course, people are complaining about um, what we don't have as opposed to the UK, is like a big and open debate where you are allowed to be a feminist. Mm. Has anyone spoken out besides you? Who's pu who's pushed back against this? So you first wrote about this in 2018, and mm. you published your book on the meaning of sex last year. Is that right? Well, in Sweden, in it was, Rush. yeah, two years ago. Okay. Yeah, 2021. And I was actually happy it was during COVID because... I did not want to do a speaking tour and and have it be a victory for the other side. You know, if I had gone around and they had organized with me as a focal point, yeah. you know, like, let's go from town to town where she goes and have demonstrations and stuff. You know, I mean, they would turn out the winners um, because everything that would be about it would be about the demonstrations and not about my book. So I was glad it was during COVID because then we avoided all the speaking tour stuff. Um, I don't know if it, there would have been a speaking tour. Maybe they would have um, not dared to invite me anyway. But what I, what I find so scary about this issue is, look, I've been a journalist and author for like more than 20 years in this country. Like everyone knows me. I mean, everyone who reads and, and is interested in politics, they know my books. I've written books before about different issues. I'm not only about feminism. I've written in the biggest newspapers about, you know, geopolitics, about um, local politics, about the environment, about all these sorts of things. Um, but when it came to this issue, it's like as if none of that matters sometimes. It's as if like you've said something about this and then it's like, oh my God. And it's the same thing as I think happens to you and that happens to JK, which is like people can just write stuff in the media. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, her transphobic opinions without quoting anything. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, but wait, what opinions? And every time I've challenged people, like, name one quote or one thing that I've written. And they're like, oh, it's the context. <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to hang me for a context? I mean, at least quote me. And they, they don't read my book. And that's a scary part. Like, they don't read. No, none of these people who engage in those kinds of accusations, who engage in cancel culture in general, you know, even beyond mm. the gender identity issue, the kinds of people who are working very hard to silence and censor and cancel other people never mm. actually read the book. They don't read the articles. Yeah. They don't listen to the podcast. They don't listen to the interview. They'll hear something on Twitter or on Facebook from one of their friends. This person is blank and they'll run with it and that will become the truth. And it's most troubling. You know, it would be one thing if this was just people talking amongst themselves and that's maddening and disappointing enough. Mm -hmm. But when they're doing it in the media, I mean, the Canadian media 
did do just that to me. I mean, first of all, they tried their hardest to just completely ignore everything that I was mm-hmm. saying for years. And when they were finally forced to cover it because of the backlash and the protests, um, they would print, you know, libel about me, you know, the Globe and yeah. Mail, which is one of, or was one of our biggest papers. It's less relevant nowadays, I would say. Um, and, and, you know, and same thing on the CBC, you know, they had a, a panel discussion about me on the CBC ahead of my talk, you know, the day mm-hmm. of my talk, discussing whether or not I was you know, guilty of hate speech, essentially, but they wouldn't talk to me and they wouldn't even come to the talk. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I've been through so many of these things. And actually, when it got really bad, I actually reported two newspapers no, one TV channel and one newspaper for um, basically what they said about me. And actually, um, because here there's an ethics board. Um, it's not like a police thing. It's more like a voluntary ethics board of the media. And they actually condemned both of these outlets. Wow. Um, but they don't pay you anything. But at least, you know, they have to publish, we're sorry, or something like that. Right. I mean, that's something. So I hope, Yeah. That I hope that they're going to actually like take that into account next time they want to write something. But I wanted to ask you, have you read Norman Finkelstein's book, um, I'll Burn That Bridge When I Get to It? No, but I was just looking at it. I, I want to read it. Somebody recommended him to me like just last week. Yeah, you're going to like it. You're going to okay. like it. I mean, it's I mean, I don't know if you're going to like it, but I think you're going <laughs> to like it because, um yeah, it speaks exactly about these things. And I've admired him for a long time, you know, because of his position on Palestine, you know, when I was in ship to Gaza and I was in prison in Israel for a week and everything. So I've also been involved in, in, in that conflict. And then um, he's written about that conflict in a way that's like he's so accurate all the time. And he's been canceled by both, you know, the right and the left, Mm. both you know the political and the corporate Mm -hmm. like he's been canceled so many times so he makes a case he goes through in his book like you know cancel culture from back in the days and you know like what were the arguments for it who was canceled has shifted you know throughout history and the why um but yeah it's really interesting book Yeah, yeah. The historical context is really important. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of these debates and conversations is that these kinds of things have been going on for centuries, and they just manifest in different ways. And I think if people paid attention to what's happened in history in the past, in terms of suppression of free speech, in Mm. terms of, you know, how quickly you can go from being correct politically to being a political enemy and being thrown in the gulag for example um this these things can change in a dime and these progressives and these leftists i I mean in canada they're progressives and leftists in any case who are leading the charge on these things don't seem to be aware that things could turn on them you know right now they're favored they're you know because they're going along with the the dominant narrative that's supported by the government that's supported by big media that's supported by big Mm -hmm. tech that's supported by big pharma by some corporations you know corporations have signed on to all this this is the the popular accepted dominant view but you know if, if one day power changes hands they could be the ones being vilified and censored and fired and ostracized and threatened, um, you know, and fined no, and maybe thrown in jail because they're opportunists. So like the second before the tide turns, they're going to already shift sides and say, no, I was always on the side. You know, that's what happened like in Eastern Europe, um, like right before the fall of communism, all the hot shots and the big people in, you know, the communist governments, realize that you know now it's capitalism so they just shifted and you know got rich and pretended that they'd always been against i mean these people somehow always come out on top yeah because i don't think they actually choose opinions because of the opinions themselves you know they want to be um like liked and get status yeah you're right yeah you're right um I mean, it's it's sad but true, and it, it makes me angry because you're right. There won't be accountability. 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to come and say, in 50 years, they're going to be the ones who are like, I'm against the stuff all the time. Yeah, I never said that. <laughs> I never like, said yeah. that trans women were women. You're crazy. Yeah, that was so stupid. Some people said it, but not me. <laughs> so um, tell me, I want to hear a bit more about what your experience was like once you started speaking out about this in a place where no one else was what happened to you did you get any support if you did where did that support come from what were the impacts of your speaking out in defense of women's sex-based rights um in opposition to gender identity Mm. ideology well so like um I started speaking out and writing about it. And, you know, first I thought I'm just going to write one article, but then I realized that the responses to my article was so incoherent that I realized, like, I have to work on this theoretically. I have to understand, you know, the, the, this gender identity theory, like theoretically, like I have to understand what's the philosophy behind it. So that's when I like started writing the book and it took me like, I think three years or something because I wasn't planning on publishing it. I was hoping that somebody else would, you know, do it before me so I didn't have to take all the shit storm. I was like, can somebody else talk about this? But then as I was writing, I'm like, I need to say this because I'm understanding like the layers of this ideology. Like, and 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 what I write in my book is that it has three layers. And that's why it's so difficult to decipher. Like, because the first layer is, is about um, tolerance, diversity, um, pride flags, um, loving everyone, being, you know, yourself and accepting, you know, it's, it's all cliches really, but it's stuff that, you know, who can disagree with that? So most people just get there. That's what most people think, you know, gender identity theory is about. So when they hear that we're against this, they think we're against tolerance and diversity. Like the average person thinks that, and they've heard that all that stuff is good. So if you're against that, you must be evil. Then you come to the second layer, and the second layer is where it, like, just inside out. Then we hear that actually you should not accept yourself for who you are, but instead, if you like to play with cars, you are a boy. And if you like pink stuff and ribbons, you are a girl. And, you know, these handbooks, they say it openly. Like, you know, if you take the towel and pretend that it's your hair and say, look at my hair when you're three, you are a girl, and you must be taken to the doctor. So what I'm doing is I'm reading like kids books, like I am jazz and like handbooks for, you know, parents and, and decipher like, what do they really say? And what they say is just the opposite of tolerance and diversity. It's like an extremely rigid, um, uh, regime of gender roles where you are not allowed to be a boy with long hair. You know, you are not allowed to be a girl and, and have short hair and like girls. So it's really conservative actually. So then you think, okay, and that that's the layer when they start talking about the brain, when they say this is innate. So I go through all the research um, up until the point where I wrote the book. What does the research actually say? And all the you know people in science that are trying to find this now, like the holy grail, like where do we find gender identity? So it's really curious actually, like they're looking everywhere, like maybe it's here, maybe it's here, maybe it's in the brain, maybe it's in the finger, you know, where is this gender thing? But they can't find it anywhere, you know? But still, when they find like a little thing, like a tendency, like, oh, we have studied eight transsexual boys and they all have this thing in common. So it's a tendency. And then you have another study that shows that that's not true. But anyway, so these studies get watered out and popularized and published, such as, you know, transsexuality is innate. So then it's all about the body, actually. It's all about like you have to adjust the body to the mind. Right. So if back in the days, you know, um, it was like, you know, your gender has to um, fit your sex. If you are a girl, you have to dress like a girl. Now it's the opposite. If you dress like a girl, you must turn into a girl um, with invasive surgery and stuff. Yeah, you know all that. So then you think, okay, that's it. That's the theory. But then you get to the third layer. And this is where things really get interesting because in the third layer, you get to the point where you can have a man who's been in the military all his life or competed in sports and, you know, be the ultra masculine type, like almost a stereotype of masculinity. And you would think if, you know, what they said before, like, yeah, it's all like innate. And if you are typically masculine, you must be a boy. No, then it turns out that's all like 
um, delete it in the third layer because then they say if he says he's a woman, he is. Right? You know, so all of these things don't go together. Like, how can that work? How can people say, yeah, he's a woman, um, when obviously he has nothing female at all in his behavior, in his looks, in his taste, nothing. So then you get to the end point of this where it's like everything that concerns sex and gender becomes the property of men. So men now uh, decide about, you know, who's going to be a man, but they also decide who's going to be a woman. So we have nothing of our own. And when you started writing about these things, did you, what, what did you lose? You know, did you lose jobs? Did you lose friends? What mm. happened in your life? Um, like I've lost two jobs over this. Um, like friends, of course. Nowadays, you don't know what you're losing because, you know, they just don't invite you in the first place. So you can't say, oh, that talk was canceled because they just don't invite you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I've gained is integrity. I'd say, like, I know I can look myself in the mirror. I know that I say what I think. You know, and that's a kind of relief also. Because you don't have to carry around, you know, a burden of a fake persona. You know, you don't have to carry around the fear of what if people find out that I have an unpopular opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I've also gained, I mean, I think in the public eye, at least, that people know that, you know, maybe they don't agree with me, but they know that I at least have integrity. Like, I'm not trying to be liked. I don't care now. And I think that's the point that any intellectual has to get to. If you look at any intellectual in the past, like, you know, yeah. Simone de Beauvoir, Jean-Paul Sartre, like any of those intellectuals, um, I mean... They were that type. And then you just have to choose, like, do you want to go down in history or do you want to be famous for the next five minutes? Yeah, well, and do you want people to trust you? And I don't think you can be trusted if you don't have integrity and if you are just trying to go along because you want to be liked, because you want to be popular, because you want to keep your job and your money. I mean, I that might feel safe for you right now. But in the end, where does that take you? Where does it take your reputation? Mm. Yeah, but then I think then if if that's what people choose, then they're not intellectuals. Then they might be journalists or, you know, something else. But I think if you choose this career, I mean, yeah, you have to know that most intellectuals have at some point been in opposition to their time, you know, their government, their own people, everything. Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, not everywhere, but for the most part, it has been the left and the progressives who've supported and pushed this stuff, supported and pushed the Mm -hmm. policies and legislations in the U.S., in Canada. Um, I'm not sure if that's totally the case in Europe, but, you know, in in Australia, in New Zealand. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I wonder why you think it is that the left went along with this and fell for this. I mean, it, it's, it's something that is, I mean, so much of it is about making money. So much of it is about profit for big pharma, for these surgeons, for this now, what is like a gender industry. Um, as I said before, all these corporations have, have fully signed on to this. Banks are promoting it. You know, it's, it's not, a dissenting view by any means and and yeah. it's a it's a corporate a corporate view um and certainly not a feminist view i would say why yeah. did the left fall for this why did the left go along with this um because the language of gender identity theory is tailored to uh the left it, it kidnaps um the arguments the words um the ideas of the left and of feminism Um, It's like what I wrote in Being and Being Bought about prostitution, how, you know, um, any, like, idea that wants to be popular has to adapt to the language that's dominant at the time. So, you know, obviously, uh, when the women's movement were saying, you know, we want, you know, the right to work, we want the right to our sexuality, and then somebody invented the term sex work and said, here you go, you know, you get both, 
Isn't that great? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think the same thing is happening here. You know, um, they have used words that belong to to the left and, and to feminism um, and also to the gay movement. I mean, mostly they've stolen from the gay movement. So I think that's why it's like so easy to be fooled because the language reminds you of, you know, what you're used to hearing. Right. And I think that's, all, again, what makes patriarchy so powerful is that it has one strategy for the right and one strategy for the left. And, and we turn out, you know, losing in, you know, in both ways. So mm -hmm. I don't think you can blame really, I mean, somebody who's not thinking for falling for this because it sounds so alike. You know, if, if we have been reading texts about like, you know, gender as a social construct, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and we see this, we're like, yeah, it sounds the same. It's just that it's just reversed. The concept is reversed, but you don't notice that unless you look into it. Do you still identify as left wing? What does that mean to you now? Well, I'm a Marxist, so I am. Um, I would say that what you might refer to as left wing or what's commonly known as a left wing, like in, in America, for example, I would say those are liberals. So those are people that might not have read Marx and are not materialists. Um, if you're a materialist, um, historical materialist, I mean, you need to take matter into account. You know, you can't be up in the sky in the world of ideas. I mean, and, and the first thing is, if you're a Marxist, you study production. If you're a Marxist feminist, you study reproduction. And of course, if you know how reproduction works, you can't think that just because somebody thinks he's a woman, he is, right? Right. So, I mean, I would say these are like fake leftists. I mean, fake. I don't know, like, who decides that? I mean, they're they're dominant, but I would say they're not Marxists. They're maybe not socialists. Um, I think they're more into like what you would call like identity politics or woke stuff. But I think that has very little to do with what socialism has been during the last hundred years. So, I would say they have changed and I have stayed the same because if I was speaking like this, like in 1995, nobody would have raised an eyebrow. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the left thought, of course, women are women. Like if, if you even said that, you know, women are not women, whatever, it'd be like, what? So, so I think that the left has been, um, manipulated. Um, and I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I don't believe that there's like five guys with cigars sitting in a room and going like, hey, hey, hey. But I believe that ideas, you know, they're like water, you know, um, like a river that flows. They will find the easiest path to flow. So it's going to, you know, just flow and where it finds like an outlet, where it's downhill, it's going to go there. And I think it's the same thing here. You know, patriarchy is a kind of um, drive. It's a kind of made desire, you know, and, and I think it just finds where it's easiest to go somewhere. And I realized that like in, in, in reality as well, because you see, I noticed that during the peak of like real feminism, you know, men online had it very hard because anytime they try to say something like we women be like, Oh, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And they'd be like, but, 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 you know, I just want to say something. We're like, no, shut up. And then when they found like the trans thing, they're like, yeah. aha. You're actually a tyrant. Yeah. And then we were like, but, but, you know, uh, so I could see the delight in these guys when they finally found, like, now I have a way of getting back at these women. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, politics yeah, and politicians, they're corrupt. You know, it is about capitalism and money and power in that, you know, these the the people who who started this trans movement were men with money and with power this wasn't a grassroots movement that came from mm -hmm. the bottom up and mm -hmm. so i think they took power where they could and they found these people in these parties and and in these corporations and all these organizations that may view themselves or present themselves as progressive groups and organizations and, and parties, but really are just careerists and are in it for the money, just like anybody in a position like that. Yeah, you can also look at it like the, you know, the, the better males revenge against the alpha woman. Yeah. 
because there were a lot of men who agreed with equality, but under the premise that, you know, um, they would kind of, you know, step down, but we would still have to be down. We weren't going to get up and like step on them. Well, they would step down, but they would still get sex. Like they could still access pornography and prostitution and we would still have to, you know, you know, now they would maybe have access to these alpha women if they supported feminism or played around, played along and said sex work is work and trans women are women or something like that. Yeah, I because I see the the males that are jumping on this train are males that they don't dare to take the fight against other men. Yeah. It's like what Magdalene Burns said about this. Um, what's that guy called? Charles Klein or something? That then oh, became Charles. Yeah. So he <laughs> yeah, who was canceled for being a sexist, a, a creep, and yeah, and you know, a, a clearly not a feminist, although he was trying to present himself as a male feminist, and then was able to come back as Charlotte and be celebrated, and nobody can criticize him now because he's Charlotte Clymer. I mean, that was so crazy. Like the the guy who made his first interview with like lipstick and a straight face, and like his hair hadn't even grown up yet; it was still short. Like he it was just put black, on like you know, purple like lipstick, and it's like two I'm weeks. a woman. He put on a bunch of, caked on a bunch of foundation. It was like the first two weeks, like, he was like, I'm going to make an interview and come out. Like, now I have my shield. Like, now nobody can call me out for being a sexist. And um, so, like, he did that. And I remember Magdalene Burns, she made this video about him where she said he's a bottom feeder. Like, he doesn't dare to, like, um, take on, like, other guys. So he's going to, like, you know, push women down because that's the fight that he's going to take. So and I and I, I was I was thinking about that since then and I was like comparing with you know what I've observed and and to some extent it rings true you know yeah I think so I mean there there are these like weak men who probably kind of feel powerless in the world of men because they're mm -hmm. they're beta men and they can't take on these guys and they're not confident in their masculinity so they try to get ta power by by pushing women down. Um, yeah. I wonder if you can tell me a bit about how your life has changed since you started speaking out about gender identity and mm -hmm. since you published this book. What are you up to mm -hmm. nowadays? Well, I think, you know, the world in terms of like this, this, um, the struggle, I mean, has changed for the better um, to some extent. I mean, I know for years we've been saying like, we're winning this fight, you know, the tide is turning, but then you like, is the tide really turning? Like, you know, is things really happening? Because, you know, I'm still being canceled. But I still see that like, you know, I remember back in 2014, there was only Sheila Jeffrey's book, you know, Gender Hurts. And and of course there was Janice Raymond's book from 79, but, um, um, but that was it. And I was like frantically searching for books. And then when I published my book, like the same year, there was, you know, Helen Joyce, Kathleen Stock, you know, there was um, Abigail, I uh, can't sure. remember her last name. Exactly. And there was like a bunch of other women. So when I read their books, I realized we'd all written them at the same time. And there was like the same stuff in them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they were literally the same cases, like the same. We were all talking about the same, you know, athletes. And it was like. You know, everybody, I think, during that year felt like we've had enough. So all of a sudden, there was this proliferation of, of feminist speakers about this. So that at least makes me feel like, okay, you know, you don't doubt yourself anymore like you did in the beginning because you know there's so many of us out there. Mm -hmm. So don't you feel that too? Like in the beginning, you were like, you know, like, can I really say this? But I do believe it. I'll say it. But actually, you know, am I right? Um, I mean, I think I thought I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I doubted myself, but I think like I did, you know, before I, I started writing about this publicly, I did, I spent a long time talking to other women about this issue mm. and reading about it. So I really, really prepared my arguments and made sure mm. that what I thought and what I was going to say about this and that it was solid and that I really understood yeah. it because I didn't want to start speaking about this and be unprepared to address holes in my arguments or challenges. Mm. 
Exactly. But yeah, I mean, um, I see, I see what you mean because it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it is okay to say this. Yeah, I, it, it is nice to have that that confirmation. Although, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I did ever doubt myself in what I'm saying. I think I developed my arguments a lot further. I think I was able to understand what was going on a lot better as more and more women started speaking out about this and writing about this and talking about this, though, for sure. Yeah, because I think, I mean, feelings only take you so far. Like, you don't know if you have a certain strong feeling, you know, that might not be an analysis. It might not even be factual. You might feel that way because of something that happened in your life. So, so the thing is, I always had a feeling that, you know, this is what I believe. But then I'm like, okay, I need the facts and analysis. I need Mm -hmm. to think about this. You know, um, and also, like, I think the point I came to, like, is what we talked about before, like, you know, does this benefit women? Like, say I'm like a trade union leader and my trade union is women, like womanhood of the world. Like, let's say that. And then I'm like, okay, so, you know, does this benefit us? Like, do we get one dollar more from this or do we get a dollar less or like, you know, what's the what's the deal? And then I looked at all these areas and I realized, like, actually, um, we don't end up winning in any of them. I don't see where we would win. Like, and I've, I also write in my book, like if you look at like, um, year 2020, um, was the first year in a lot of countries, like the first trans politician, like the first trans, you know, MP, whatever. And all of them that I found, all of them were trans women. Hmm. So if this sex change thing had like benefited us so that we could say, you know, we can all become men and then we become presidents, like, you know, then I would have been all for it. You know, I would have been like, it's a bit weird, but at least, you know, if this is what it takes, you know, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So like, but I just realized it's not, it's just shuffling of the deck of cards. You know, it's the same guys that are in parliament, but they now are women, but you know, it's still them. And I think, you know, to me, this is like the ultimate manipulation because, you know, we've been the second sex all the time, you know, but now we don't even get to be that, you know? Like, let's say in sports, you know, we don't even get to win in our own category. We have to be the second sex of the second sex, Mm -hmm. you see. Mm -hmm. So there's like no place and not even place for our own feelings. Because if, you know, God forbid that the woman who like, you know, um, ends up like in second place uh, will show an angry face instead of smiling and saying like, oh, my God, it's great diversity. I congratulate you. You know, then she's canceled. So I think it's just the ultimate humiliation. And I don't know, like, women are so patient, you know, sometimes. Um, And they know that. They know that we're, you know, have this motherly tolerance, you know, and put other people before us, you know, and that we feel sorry for other people when we have it worse and things like that. And... You started a new publication recently, is that right? Oh, you saw that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I actually took your advice. I remember we talked about it, and you said, um, you know, yeah, you can do it yourself. Like, Mm. it's not that difficult, but it takes a lot of work. So, yeah, me and seven other people, we started our own magazine, online magazine. Um, It's for free, open to read. It's in Swedish, but, yeah, I mean, some articles you can probably translate if you find them interesting, but, yeah, we're... Um, hoping to get subscriptions so that, you know, we can turn it into like a kind of actual magazine in like a year. But for now it's for free and yeah, it's getting subscribers and it's getting readers and all that. And I just realized like, yeah, you have to own your own platform in these times. Yeah, you, you have to, I mean, nothing, you can't rely on anything these days. You can't rely on social media. You can't rely on other platforms. I mean, things change so quickly and I feel like the only way to survive is kind of to maintain some version of independence in your, your own platform so that you can say what you want and hang on to your, your audience and your subscribers. Right. Mm. So where, what's the publication and where can people find it? It's called parabol.press. So um, parabol in Swedish is this antenna that all the immigrants used to have in like the 80s and 90s to see programs like TV shows from their own countries. So it's like a symbol of like multiculturalism. And it's also a symbol of bringing in information from a channel that's not official. 
you know, because it wasn't what was on TV. It was like some other TV. It's also like a symbol of bringing information from somewhere else, from the world. So what we're trying to do is cover, you know, parts of the world that uh, media doesn't write about a lot, um, long articles, essays, um, deep things, women's rights, you know. It doesn't have a right or left um, label. Um, it's more like quality based. So if somebody has an article that has like actually, you know, uh, an original thought, footnotes, because we use footnotes, um, yeah, they're welcome to send it in. We also translate articles from, from other languages. So it feels great. You know, it feels great to be doing something. You always have to keep on moving, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so, and, and tell us for people listening where people can find and follow your work and where they can, they can find your book on the meaning of sex. On the meaning of sex, they should definitely read it, I think. Um, now it sounds like I'm self-promoting, but I think what's different about it is that it has more like a Marxist feminist take on gender identity. So I think the difference is between like us and the right is that we don't go like, oh, clowns, oh, stupid. Like we don't just, you know, insult or use opinions, but we actually try to analyze what this means and try to pick apart the ideology from like a kind of, you know, theoretical standpoint, um, where we confront the ideology with itself. Like, does this go together? Like, does this hold? So yeah, it's published by Spin FX, which is a great Australian feminist editor. So yeah, you can find it on Amazon or, you know, on the website of Spin FX or online. Um, I think it's also an ebook. So uh, I think like in the end, you know, um, you can... I mean, you can attack gender identity from so many different um, standpoints because there are so many reasons why there are so many absurdities in this theory. What I'm scared of, though, is exactly what you were talking about before. And I was so sad when that happened to you, like when you were so nice to all these right wing men and you were so like kind of like stretching out your hand and saying, like, let's talk. And look what they did. Man, like they all like ignored you and like become became famous using your words, your ideas, your struggle. Yeah, I mean, it drives me insane because now that it's sort of comfortable and acceptable and profitable to talk about these things, they've taken that analysis and just repeated the words of women and then insulted women and feminists in the process and yeah, and become rich. While the yeah, women but they're are their still own canceled. Of trans people then they're doing the same thing because they're appropriating your struggle and your maybe not your identity but your words, your ideas. Yeah. And that's I think the essence of patriarchy. It just comes in many forms, but that they take what's ours, you know. And and if you think about it, there are many similarities between these guys like Matt Walsh and these people, and um, the gender identity movement. Because they both expect us to sit back and smile while they take what's ours. And show some gratitude. I'm always told to show some gratitude to these men, to be grateful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to stop complaining And you're like, man, so that's much. exactly why I started the struggle, because I'm not thankful. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's never ending. I'm just going to say one more thing. Like what I think is my challenge right now is, you know, when you go through something that hard, which is, you know, having been canceled, you know, as, as you also have been like, you know, having to move to another country, go into exile, you know, um, I think my hardest challenge is right now not to let it affect my writing and my thinking, mm -hmm. you know, not to be bitter, not to be like, oh my God, because this happened to me, like, this is like the basis for all my thoughts. You know, like the earth that, you know, all my thinking like grows from that I'm trying to keep my line. So because I've seen like, you know, in the past, like other authors that, you know, kind of like, you know, yeah, got bitter and I don't want to be that person. So that's my challenge right now. Well, that's a good challenge. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks again for, for talking with me today. It was so great to catch up with you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Megan. Um, good night from Stockholm.
I'm Megan Murphy. Thanks for tuning in to Feminist Current. You can find us online at feministcurrent.com, tweet at us at Feminist Current, or send us an email at info at feministcurrent.com. We are hosted by Libsyn, and you can subscribe to the Feminist Current podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. You can even give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Feminist Current is produced and hosted by myself, Megan Murphy. We have been ad-free, sponsorship-free, wealthy, investor-free, and fully independent since 2012. If you enjoy this podcast and if you value independent women's media, by women, for women, no compromises, please consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit feministcurrent.com and click the donate button. 